I'm Scott Heidner. I'm the Senior Vice President for BHL, and I am in Wichita, Kansas with Dan Oblinger. Uh, Dan is a longtime speaker uh, for a lot of our clients. He's a keynote speaker and author that we tapped into years ago, and we are excited to have him. Welcome, Dan. Hello, and it's my pleasure to be here. This is great. Appreciate you carving out some time, although I never mind coming down to Wichita. I've found lesser reasons to to come down to your great city and, and maybe even leave some sales tax behind at your cigar shop. We certainly appreciate the contribution, <laughs> Mr. Heidner. <laughs> well, let's dive right into it. Um, you know, the very first exposure I had, Dan, to you and in, in your line of work is your topic, your most specific topic, which is active listening. And uh, I had an immediate reaction that, oh, my gosh, you know, this is something that's so universally relevant uh, and yet you don't hear anybody speak about it professionally. You don't ever see anybody take training in that area, but all of our clients talk about it. So uh, what was your eureka moment? How would you get into that and, and decide that this is something that you thought was important and had skill set to teach and wanted to do? Well, by the time I got into corporate training and keynote speaking, I was flabbergasted to see that really nobody's in the space of repping or selling listening of how important it is but also um how well established there is a body of, of of knowledge about how to be a better listener you know skills-based stuff but also theory it was so important to me already in my life it uh richly rewarded my professional careers and all their various um you know and very diverse expressions listening was so important to me it almost happened by accident that I was doing training in some other areas and, and a client asked for something new and it was something I was familiar with and I thought it was very valuable and I just assumed there's probably lots of people doing it, but I knew I could do it. And so I started doing that, providing speaking and training about listening. And as I began to learn more and more about the kind of the corporate space, I was like, There's there's nobody here. You know, I expected imagine walking into a ballroom expecting it to be full of people already partying and you walk in and it's just you. So there's very few people that put such an emphasis on just listening. And listening can be used in so many different ways, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, yeah, that's how I got started was uh, I developed some knowledge and some skills in the public sector. And when I was already providing other things to the private sector, almost by accident, I fell into that. And uh, I've learned more about listening through working with my private sector clients, my corporate clients, particularly BHL clients, um, and have really expanded that as an offering. That's awesome. And it's, it is amazing that there's not more people in that space. I think of some of the things we hear at our client training. One of them that sticks out is um, employee recruitment and retention. It's a pretty brutal thought, but you hear people say all the time, people never quit their company, they quit their boss. And when you ask, so yourselves, you ask yourself, you know, why do they quit their boss? Number one answer quite often is the boss doesn't listen. boss doesn't listen. boss doesn't hear me. Uh, yeah, there's a real core to truth in there when you hear that. Well, you mentioned um, your public sector background uh, for our listeners out there. Dan's day job, he's a law enforcement officer and a hostage negotiator, which obviously blends itself over into... Looks really cool on a uh, business card. <laughs> it does, and it, it wows an audience. You get a little bit of panache when you walk in the room, which is pretty cool. Uh, but same question there, how... 
I kind of put the chicken before the egg there, asking you about your your corporate speaking role, but and then you referenced your public sector. But how did you get into the hostage negotiation gig on the public side, which obviously fostered a lot of your learning uh, about listening? Well, I think the theme you're going to see here, Scott, in my life is that I'm just some guy that wanders into the right room at the right time. Um, I didn't set out to be a hostage negotiator. I did set out to be a law enforcement officer. That was a dream of mine since I was a kid. I wanted to be a cop. Um, got that chance. Worked diligently at that. Um, once I got into police work, had no clue what I was going to do. Really was just happy to do that. Just to serve the community, get to meet exotic people under exotic circumstances <laughs> every once in a while take them to jail delicate try to said. make things better than when i <laughs> my dad always taught me to leave things better than when i found it right so i just that was my philosophy as a young police officer but um it was a uh, kind of fate that brought me to the hostage negotiation world i made a police call by myself one night and met a young lady on top of a parking garage six stories above the ground she was thinking about jumping Ended up having a very humbling experience on top of that parking garage. Learned a couple things, uh, principally that I'm a, not a good listener, <laughs> which for a young man is probably a, a very kind lesson to learn early on. And learned that uh, I had some aptitude for talking to people in crisis. And also learned that I wanted to do it. And that so what what do you do? You're on a roof. Your, one of your bosses just dumped you there, and you've got a prospective jumper. That's uh, right. That sucks. That's right. You realize you've gone with a different <laughs> government affairs firm and not BHL, and <laughs> you find yourself in dire straits. Um, Precisely. No, I mean, I, I sp start I start my my seminar on listening by posing that question, very question to everyone there. What would you say? You're face-to-face -face with her. You have no training. You have no experience. You're just a person trying to connect with a person. What do you say? It's a very, uh, again, it's a humbling lesson for me when it happened in, in real life, it's uh, even as an academic proposition, sitting in a boardroom somewhere. I just did a class uh, in Southeast Kansas yesterday, and I posed that question. Everybody looked at each other. What do we? We don't know. Right. Is you're you're the expert, and wh that's one of the lessons is you can't wait for the experts. If, yeah. If you're put in that position, it's you. Um, so, the short answer. I mean, I'll just give away the farm. I was going to say, you're, listeners you're are going to want to know how it ended. Yeah, you're going to listen. Yeah. That's that's if you're smart. People will uh, solve their own problems for you, but you have to listen, and they have to believe that you care. It's not so much what you can do for somebody else or some eloquent words you're going to speak, because I tried that that night. That didn't work. You have to know who that person is and why they're on the roof, and they know that, and you don't. So you're going to have to find a way to get them to tell the story. So talk about something else that I hear you mention in your talks, you know, the, the importance of listening, but you always preface it with, you know, these are universally useful, effective skills with one caveat, and that is uh, you have to believe in the individual worth and, and decency of your fellow people. And if you don't, uh, you probably really can't effectively ascribe to these teachings or use them as effectively as you should. Uh, that's a it's a very philosophical 30,000-foot level observation to make about what can be a tactical skill, and it's pretty clear shapes you and how you think and who you are. Uh, share, share where you landed on that, where that comes from. Well, I, I think 
one thing that I've really reflected on here lately, and one, one thing that's in vogue with corporate trainers and the corporate space is diversity and inclusion, which I'm all for. I mean, who, who wouldn't be, right? Right. But the devil's in the details. And one thing I learned as a police officer was that I don't have the luxury of picking my clientele, and therefore I don't get to judge my clientele. You know, I provide a service, and that service is provided to everyone free of charge, and it does not matter who they are or what they think or what they believe. It does matter what they do. <laughs> <laughs> but even then, you know, it's best to approach justice with mercy. Right. Um, so as a hostage negotiator, so, I mean, the rest of the story is, is that the lady lived. And, again, I got this is the ultimate, to me, test of my abilities as a human person, let alone a cop. I wanted more. So I ended up becoming a hostage negotiator. I competed for a spot on the team and, and got on the team. Um, been a hostage negotiator for about 10 years, and I now command the team of, of eight. And one thing that we realize is we also don't pick our clientele. They come to us, and we meet them where they're at, and we listen to them. And we can't judge. We can't invalidate their experiences. We can't invalidate their perspectives, no matter really how objectively wrong they are, because we have to work with them. So I think that's one thing that, that I've been richly blessed is I must and I do have a worldview where I really don't care who you are. I really don't care what you can do for me or for anybody. I don't really judge based on ability. I mean, everybody if they're a human being, then they deserve to be listened to. They have a story. They have a dignity that's well worth my time to investigate. And so that helps me as a hostage negotiator not get sucked into looking at the differences between me and the person I'm, I'm trying to work through this problem with, I really focus on what, what we have in common. What we have in common is uh, they have a human dignity just like me that's invaluable. That's a pretty, as somebody I've heard you speak several times to our clients, that's, that's one of the more compelling parts of it. You know, here are all these tactical skills, but really a huge part of being an active listener is you have to care. And yes. You know, you have to... Uh, you have to care so much that they, they know it. Yeah. And the and th this is the other thing. There's a couple of of things we avoid saying as a hostage negotiator. One of them is I I understand. We try to avoid saying that because there's ways that you can demonstrate that, and it has a much deeper impact on the relationship with the person you're working with. Same thing is we, you can't say I care. You just show them that you care, and principally that's through really intentional and and authentic listening. Well, hold that thought for one second, because in a minute I'm going to ask you about some of those intentional listening skills and whatever. But before we leave your law enforcement background, uh, I think at heart we're all almost like borderline reality TV suckers. We meet somebody in law enforcement, we want to hear the the great or the gory stories. Uh, before we jump off your law enforcement piece, tell us something interesting. One story that you've had from your career that listeners would think is compelling uh, for the good or the bad. Um, I worked human trafficking cases during a time in my career and worked a major federal case and uh, had the fortune to work with the victim and over the course of many years uh, cultivate a professional relationship with the victim to the point where the victim actually uh, gave up the life that she was living, um, turned in the people that were trafficking her, and was able to go on and uh, provide substantial uh, information against those people so they could be convicted. And uh, that took five years. And so I can tell you all kinds of very entertaining and, and uh, almost unbelievable stories because truth, as you know, Scott, is stranger than fiction. 
um, amazing stories of Daring Do, sure. But uh, I look back at that as one of my um, most humbling experiences, but also my crowning achievement you know, as an investigator was to put that kind of time into a case and uh, have somebody's life totally changed where they said to, to me and my partner, this person said, you saved my life. Yeah, that's fantastic. We, uh, it's uh, not relevant to today's conversation directly, but our attorney general, who we work a lot with, has put uh, a bright light on human trafficking as an issue since he's come into town. That's really been his hallmark. But As well he should. Yeah. Uh, changing gears, come back to the, the listening skill that you teach. Again, as somebody that's heard your, your yes, corporate presentation. Yes, Scott, you've, you've probably... If you didn't realize this, of every person on the face of the planet, you've probably heard me talk the most, <laughs> and we're still friends. So that's a it's a glowing uh, endorsement, I think. Well, I've uh, I've tried to digest every time, but you you know, there's really two facets to it. One um, is cultural, which we'll get to in a minute. But for the listeners out there, you know, we are the consumption nation, right? Short sound bites. Talk about some of the tactical things. You know, three or four or five habits that either the majority of us don't exercise and should or some of the uh, things we should aspire to that are easy and tactical sure uh, to, to make you yeah. a better listener well first thing is we've got to put the smartphones down I mean that's where I'm at that's the one I struggle with the most too you just ask my kids we got to stop 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 being professional consumers of digital media and I, I don't mean to say throw out digital media there's a there's a very serious role that it plays now in our professional lives, especially in the corporate world. And I get that. But we have to make better use of that tool and understand that it was made for us and we weren't made for it. We spend too much time on it. We probably spend uh, both quantity and quality. We, I think we suffer in our choices. And this is the problem, is that it's training us to be bad listeners. It's training us to passively receive. And it's also training us that it's all about us. And those are two things that are antithetical to good listening. The first rule of good listening is it's not about you. It's about the other person. It's in service to the other person. And then do, so doing, you, you are richly rewarded every time. And then the second thing is that it's an active endeavor. So you know, the second component to listening is an appropriate response. And when all you do is look at cat videos on YouTube, uh, <laughs> an appropriate response is not clicking the like button or the heart button. You can't do that with real people. And... And you're at a loss. You don't know how to reply to real people bearing their soul. You know, you're the boss and the employee comes in with a problem and you just, I don't know what to do. So uh, it's an extreme example. But the more we consume digital media, I think the less qualitative, you know, authentic, genuine listening is going to happen. One of the things that I've taken away that I've, once you hear some of these tactical things, uh, you become a student in that you start noticing oh, you them in it. your day-to-day -day life. You notice it, hopefully you notice it yourself, and then unfortunately also in other people, but yes. Yeah, and I think the one that I have noticed the most is, and recognized myself immediately, I thought, oh gosh, no, that is, I'm so guilty, is listening to speak instead of listening to yes. listen. You know, as somebody speaks... You're, you're looking and you're nodding, but really you're just formulating what you're going to say next and waiting for that first jump point to get back in. Uh, so guilty of that. And as I look around, oh, my gosh, it, it's almost universal. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that's another good one. Um, if you're asking for three, I'll yeah. give you the third one. I give think me one more. The third one I think here lately I've just really noticed is I call it one-upping. And 
it's as simple as this, is that if you truly believe, as you should, that listening is nothing more than an invitation for somebody else to share that story of their self um, that flows out of that human dignity. Everybody has this rich story. We're all so unique. Um, if you believe that, then stop trying to tell your own story over the top of somebody else's story. Like, just receive it and reflect upon it and ask them to tell more. But we often want to jump in with our own story. So somebody tells the beginning of their story, and then we want to chime in with the beginning of our story, and it's got to be better. And I think that's a really dangerous game of brinksmanship and yeah. listening. And the the better play is just to pick out the most important or most interesting part of their story and ask them to explain it more. And then I do get this question in my seminars. Okay, well, if you're saying that all human beings have this need to share the story, Dan, well, when do I get to share my story? Isn't that important too? And to which I say, absolutely. And the right time is when they ask. If you truly listen to somebody else's story and you begin to have great insight into what motivates them and what moves them, uh, how they they could trust you in a relationship, which is what hostage negotiators do, at some point they will return that favor. They will want to know about you. And that is a sure sign whether you're in sales, whether you're in corporate management, whether you're a hostage negotiator on the ledge with somebody but about to jump. It's a sure sign that you're about to succeed because now they're interested in you as a human person. Now you have a relationship. Good answers. Um, shift gears just a little bit. You know, we spent the last five minutes talking about the tactical listening skills, and yet most of the uh, engagements we've had with you with our corporate clients have really been about the culture of listening, not just tactical A, B, and C, connect the dots, but how prevalent it is in building a corporate culture and employee hiring and retention, wellness, oh, yes. and across the board. Oh, yes. Yeah. So this is the thing. Typically, I come in, I talk about listening, get people excited about maybe removing some of their bad listening habits and give them some really practical skills-based stuff where they could right away start being a better listener and over time, by the way, become really skillful at it. And everybody's like, this makes sense to me. This is, I, mean, I'm a, I tell them, well, cops can do it. So <laughs> we're not talking about really high order. This is not rocket surgery, as they say. <coughs> and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I am say, now, imagine this, imagine this. Picture your company, picture your organization, okay? It, all it is, is is it's a group of people, right? It's it's the, it's a summation of all those relationships. Like the health of the company is some function of the health of all those individual relationships, peer to peer, boss to peer, executives, you know, the C suite to the producers, particularly everybody to clients and customers, right? They're like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I'm like, all right, now imagine this. Let's say you have a company of 30 people, and three of them made a concerted effort together to be better listeners and they all became 10% better listeners what's the impact on the company culture it's amazing is what it is like that much better listening in a world of listening deficit stands out yeah so if your company took on intentional listening as a part of its culture and did some really simple practical you know company-wide changes it would be amazing people, people it would be almost like a totally different company and its ability to connect with people, and, and that impacts the bottom line. It impacts, like, all these things you mentioned, like employee engagement. The bosses are listening now. My ideas are going to the top where they belong so they can be carefully weighed, right? Clear communication is coming down, and my boss takes the time to make sure that I understand what's going on from the C-suite. That didn't happen a lot right, right now. And it's because there's not much training out there. It's an easier way to change your culture quickly and substantially i mean we've all been ad nauseum in seminars on risk management and you know uh, 
hiring, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but it never has listening as a component. It's amazing. Listening is like zombies for bosses. Do the zombies know they're zombies? Probably not. Do bad listeners know they're bad listeners? It's really hard as a bad listener to get the kind of feedback you need to make great changes as a boss. Yeah. And so it's almost like this self-fulfilling uh, <laughs> virus that if you're a bad listener, people may be trying to tell you you're a bad listener, but you're a bad listener. Yeah. So I oftentimes will come in to a company and they'll be like, hey, yeah, it's great. Now you're really here because so-and-so is a bad listener. And I always chuckle because I'm like, well, probably you are too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, it is, a, it is the culture is what might save those people. Yeah. Because everybody around you becomes a better listener. You're going to get pulled along. That's the power of culture. It's a side note, but uh, uh, culture or strategy? What's more important? Oh, culture. I agree. Oh, gosh. 100%. You'll, you'll beat your brains out trying to come up with the perfect strategy. I, the example I give is the lady in the parking garage. I was beating my brains out trying to come up with the perf- perfect thing to say. But if we were on the same team and knew we were part of the same tribe, which is what happened at the end, um, then she's just going to do a, what we want to do, like yeah. make a good decision for the, for the whole culture. Well, it's interesting, uh, we'll wrap this up here, uh, that you have come down this path. Uh, you know, you and I didn't talk until just recently about your childhood and growing up here. Uh, but I just assumed, given the traumatic nature of, of your work and the hostage negotiation and everything else, I'm like, oh, I must have been something unusual as a child, a massive thrill seeker, come from some gr- grotesquely dysfunctional home, and I think you... <laughs> described your uh, childhood to me as painfully normal. Grew up here in Wichita? Yeah, I grew up south of Wichita. Yeah. Uh, painfully normal from the perspective of some biographer trying yeah. to, to turn it into some great origin story. No, I had a pretty great childhood. I have no complaints. Yeah. yeah mom and dad still together after all these years. You know, oldest of five. Public schools. Really good public schools. Yeah. Um, got to do all kinds of activities, uh, but never really focused on one never yeah. became obsessed with one just got to try a lot of different stuff all of which became relevant later i think in my professional career well for our listeners out there uh, we didn't hit on this today but dan is a true renaissance man in addition to the keynote speaker and author and being a law enforcement officer and a hostage negotiator he's also chicken farmer landlord has yes, rental properties etc yes. etc et uh for a guy who came from a fairly generic functional yes. background you have become quite an eclectic soul my friend i collect people and relationships and stories so that'll take you different places yeah for sure uh well let me ask you this i appreciate you coming on the podcast with us today dan it's always a pleasure to visit with you we love having you speak to our clients uh, it's always a big hit what uh what is next in the oblinger future besides hopefully coming back and talking to bhl clients for the next several years well the next big thing is kind of two things i would say uh, one's the book so Which i just I just released grotesquely failed to mention earlier so we're doing it now a, tell baby. us about it now <laughs> i just released the book um it's consumed a lot of for the last two years i've been writing a book often I mean, anybody that's written a book understands exactly what i'm saying you know it's never good enough so i wrote it and stopped and wrote it and stopped and finally uh with the my wife really pushed me i think because she wanted me to stop writing the book uh one way or the other but she pushed me and I finished it uh, and it's called Life or Death Listening a hostage negotiator's how-to guide to the essential communication skill and it is I think pretty good <laughs> but uh, you'll have to read it to know I will have to read it to know so, but it's available as an as a Kindle ebook or also paperback on Amazon 
you uh, mentioned taking two years uh, I mean to music and have had a chance to record yes. some and I think probably something that we say in the music world I think would probably be true of a book project as well when you're recording a record uh, album <laughs> projects don't ever get finished they just get abandoned because yes. eventually you just have to hit that button and let it go otherwise you would just work on it for the rest of your life. Yes, yeah. that's 100% correct. Yep. Yes. The, those projects never get finished. They just get abandoned. Yeah. Uh, well, what else? What else is on the well, Oblinger I, uh, dance card moving forward? I have forward? a lot booked for calendar year 2019, um, including I just accepted a, uh, an invitation to speak in Zurich, Switzerland. Good. Which Grief. for a little boy from small town Kansas, it's going to be a bit of a stretch. But I'll That's be speaking impressive. at a, an international business negotiators conference there. Wow. And uh, I will uh, hopefully remind them of the importance of listening. Uh, that's impressive. Switzerland. Yeah, Switzerland. Uh, today there was a discussion at the dinner table. Uh, my five kids now know about this potential, which has been closed. But my uh, daughters are like, well, you also learn how to speak Swiss. <laughs> 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 And I said, well, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the uh, uh, Swiss have any need for government affairs services in Kansas, you let us know. I will take a whole carton of BHL <laughs> business cards and propaganda, and uh, you may have to open a corporate office in Zurich. We may have to. We may have to. That's funny. <laughs> Who? Uh, I should have asked this earlier, but uh, which of the BHL clients from our company have we had you in speak with? I know it's been several. This is a good question. I'm glad we're going to end on this. I think it's important to know. You know, I've spoken uh, at, a, at a plethora of BHL nice, clients. Nice word, plethora. Uh, Missouri Society of Professional Engineers will be going there to speak this year, this coming year, 2019. Uh, Kansas Society of Professional Engineers already did them. Uh, speak every year for Missouri, uh, ACEC, Kansas ACEC, Michigan ACEC, and Nebraska ACEC. And this is the most important one to me and the reason why I think you guys are good and I recommend you to other people I speak for Aww. is you had me in to speak for your guys' own firm. And I think that speaks well to you're not going to rep it unless you've tried it. That's a true story. And if you, if you believe so much in active listening skills, then why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. So I think that uh, speaks well to you guys. You're one of my favorite clients. Well, uh, <laughs> even if that is a shameless plug, we'll take it without shame. Yep. That's fantastic. Well, Dan, uh, really enjoyed having you here. Thanks for being a guest on our BHL podcast series and uh, look forward to working with you again very soon. Scott, my friend, my pleasure. Thanks for coming by. Thanks. Thanks.